<clears throat> I want to ask you a question. <clears throat> Excuse me. When do you first remember laughing or humor as a person? When did you first become connected? And you got to go back and think about it. When were you aware of comics, comedians, cartoons, funny, laughter, the variations of laughter, the, the divisions of laughter, what laughter means, what laughter doesn't mean, etc., 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 etc. When were you aware of this? Now, the rule that I've always had, which I'm going to break right now, is not trying to analyze <clears throat> excuse me, what's funny. That's a waste of time. The physics, the chemistry, the biology of laughing is another story. Laughing and laughter and this notion of comedy. I'm going to give you a couple of observations and it's something that I want to encourage in you because one of the things which you will find, and if you can develop this and remember this for the rest of your life, you can have a delightful time with your friends and family looking and breaking apart and looking at things that you never thought were even subject to debate in the first place. Things that you just never even thought about. And the more you look at them, you're saying, wow. Now, I am an observationist. That's what I do. I've always done this. I've always been fascinated by the David Attenborough look of of the world, like, and the sleuth. Uh, did you ever hear this, how the sloth um, comes down the tree? And, and I saw somebody say that bees don't fly in the dark. Any kind of behavior I find fascinating. Fascinating. Do you ever look at a restaurant, look at a place that opens up, and you think, wow, I'm going to go in there, because they have balloons, it looks fun, it's inviting. The behavior of commerce, you name it. I have people that I know who are absolutely, I believe, demented. They're not, they're not dangerous. They're not, you know, um, institutionalizable, but they're demented. Beyond anything you've ever even imagined. Demented. But that's a different story. So let me first begin by telling you that uh, it is imperative that you subscribe to the channel, that you like this video, that you hit that little bell so you're notified of new videos and the like. And that you recognize that your metrics count. Here's why. Let me tell you things that in my age, my development, this stage of my life, what I love to do first is to use this um, a thought experiment. What's this, Gedanken experiment? What did Freud call it? The Gedanken, this thought experiment. I'm talking to somebody from another planet, another star system, an EBE or whatever it is. And I'm explaining something to him, it, they, whatever, her. And I'm explaining this. I'm saying, let me explain to you something that we do. This is what humans do. We do this thing called laughing. And laughing is one of the most complicated exercises you can imagine. A couple of things to note. First, everybody laughs kind of at something. There are, there, there are, there are derivations of laughter. There are iterations of laughter. One of the basics of laughter, one of the breakdowns, if you will, is this thing called, and this is important, this thing called smiling. And that's not really laughter. Laughter is the ultimate stage. It starts off with a smile, but then we throw into words like humor, laughing, comedy, performance laughter where I'm I'm trying to uh, do my best to I don't know what you want to say to um, I guess the word is you want to figure out a way to maybe explain certain things perhaps and one of the things which I'm noticing right now and I've noticed this a while back is in the world of comedians, this is the most, I don't know what the word is, this is the most interesting group of people they are. Let me explain this to you. 
And this is an absolute truth. Listen to me carefully. Number one. They speak as though they have an ability that's almost dangerous, God-given, superhuman, and beyond anything that you or I or any of us could ever even remotely grasp. They are given this power. They are given this ability. And they speak about it in this, almost like this formulaic. Years ago, I had the chance to work with a bunch of comedians, and they wrote for all of the late night, everybody from, you name it, Saturday Night Live was one, uh, Today, uh, to, uh, to, uh, the Daily Show, uh, you name it. They they were wrote for comics. None of them really performed, but they, they wrote and they immersed themselves in it. And these were the most unfunny people I've ever met in my life. I mean, they were they were tragically and, and, and scarily unfunny and uninteresting and unappealing. And it was the weirdest thing I've ever seen in my life. I'll never forget this. At one time... I, there was this one fellow who was who was demented, demented, and I happened to say, "What are you going to be doing tonight?" Oh, why? And he said, "I'm going over to Trevor's house, and we're going to write." Oh, what are you going to write? Comedy. And I laughed. He didn't think it was funny, and I thought only in America can somebody who is completely detached from anything that is real. And this guy was, this guy was a professional comedy writer. And he and he, he presented this stuff, which was really, I mean, it wasn't really funny at all, but among his fellow comedians, it was considered funny because they collectively said, this is our sense. And in this group, it was dark. This wasn't the Larry Gelbart, um, Mel Brooks, you know, Carl Reiner, 2,000-year-old man, Shelley Berman, no, no, Seinfeld even. No, 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 no. This was dark. Dark. So this dark comedy person would get hired at this show and then when they need other writers, these other dark people and they... Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying it wasn't funny. It was dark. And I realized, oh my God. So that kind of set me on the path of I always thought these people were funny. One time I remember sitting around in a, a quote, pitch session. I said, what's your favorite joke? And I'm in a joke, you know, like a joke, a recitation of facts. Two guys walk into a bar and one guy's got a parrot and the bartender, you know, that kind of thing. Didn't know what I was talking about. Well, one time I remember watching uh, so-and-so said, here's a great joke. Here's a joke I wrote. He wrote, and they, they will say things in this phrase and they all will laugh. But here's the next part. This is what I would explain to my friends or my uh, extraterrestrial. They laugh as though people don't know how to laugh. They laugh as though somebody has never laughed in their life and they're trying to mimic the behavior of somebody who's laughing in a way that convinces you they're laughing <laughs> Have you who has seen comedians in cars drinking coffee or whatever it is? Jerry Seinfeld acts as though he is going to drive off the road over the hilarity of whether it's Norm MacDonald or whoever it is. Uncontrollable. They'll sit around with this one. It'll be um, Louis C.K. or it might be uh, whatever it was. And they sit around and they become detached. It's like they put their, their foot in the clutch. A lot of kids don't know what that means. And their engine is spinning. And they're showing you, because I'm in the, the, the biz, because I'm in this biz of comedy, I'm laughing. I have this heightened sense of what funny is. And therefore, we'll exhibit it by this over-the-top overreaction to something that's really not that funny, in my opinion. I don't know anybody who laughs like this about anybody, except comics trying to virtue signal to other comics, yes, I'm part of the group because 
after all, why would I be laughing this hysterically out of control if I did not understand the... Okay, you got it? See how this works? It's the strangest thing ever. And they always talk about it as this... Almost like a like a like a a doctor says, "Well, we have an infection, and we're going to apply antibiotics, and then we're going to go to a uh, we're going to go to a a a a, a brief treatment, and we're going to attack this. And after two, the patient should rebound. They they speak about things very formulaically, very linearly, as though this plus this plus this equals this. I've never seen, and you know what? It might have always been like this. I don't know." Today, and this is me, I don't listen to comedy. I don't laugh. Nobody's ever made, really made me, a couple of people, I thought, well, that was funny. But a lot of my responses, that's very good. I like clever, I like something. That's just me. Other people may not. I was watching a documentary last night on the genius of Buster Keaton. Buster Keaton, did he make you laugh? Does slapstick make you laugh? Does it laugh when the building falls? Or do you laugh when it falls and he's in the doorway and it misses him? Is that funny to you? It doesn't make me laugh, but I know other people do. Then we get into the notion of why people laugh almost reflexively because they feel like they're going to have to. They feel like they have to laugh because I'm in this setting and I don't want to be rude. There was a story about that years ago in the book, I, I've Lived to Tell It All, George Jones was talking about how he, <clears throat> how he, um, this is very good, how J George Jones said he he was at a casino or something, and he had actual Native Americans, actual Indians at this casino. And there was a comedian, I think it was a comedian before him, I hope I'm getting the story right, who went out and, uh, I think it was George, anyway, who said, I did a terrible job. And the, the head of the tribe or whatever came back and said, you were fantastic, we loved you. He says, that's not funny. He says, no, no, you were so funny we almost laughed. And it was considered communally uh, disrespectful to laugh at somebody. Now that's the story. Whether it's true or not, I don't know. But the point is, it's interesting. And then we have people today who are trying their very best and YouTube has provided this and I, I study it in ways you cannot imagine. It's not what they're saying is look at the reaction they're trying to invoke. And now you're taking and here's, here's a rule which is so important for you to understand and listen to me, listen carefully. There were, let me go back a little bit. In, in 1985 and on, when talk radio blew up, people became, this is in a post-Rush world, people were on radio shows and they wanted to be, um, or they, they were uh, politically uh, insightful or whatever you want to call it. Okay, fine. And they weren't necessarily, you know, radio people. They were either political uh, thinkers or uh, theoreticians or whatever you want to call it. The ra the radio people took great offense at this because they said, wait a minute, I've been in radio for a long time. I've been working overnights at, at KISS 103 and I've been doing this for 30 years and I've been all over the country, all over the world, these these journeyman kind of um, you know folks and, and here I am, uh, you know, whatever it is. And I am a comedic genius and I should be able to, okay, fine. Well, what's very interesting to note about this, oddly enough, and interestingly enough, which I find, is that they didn't understand that, but you don't know anything about politics. You don't understand this. You don't grasp this. You don't understand the issues. You think, because you sound like this, and you're a puker, and you're talking, and after the hour, you think that's it. There was a fellow I heard the other day on a serious channel, might have been the 70s or something, it was museum quality puker. Now, puker, by the way, is, is a term that is used, I think you know this, in the business for somebody who's got to talk like uh, wax or stacks or wax, you know, that kind of, that, that, that. 
George Carlin would do the Al Sleet, you know, the sort of, that's what it is. It's almost a formulaic, corny, anachronistic, over-the-top, hyper-exuberant. All right. And I heard this. So to make a long story short, the people who said, they said, no, just because you've been in radio, it's the subject matter. Don't you understand this? It's the subject matter. You got to have interviewing skills. You got to know this. You got to you, you you have to know. You have to read papers, and you have to you just can't mimic somebody. But because of your voice, this mellifluous golden voice of yours, that's not going to do it. The same thing is happening now with comedians who think, "Oh, I can do a podcast." Why? Because I'm a performer. I'm a comedian. But you're a comedian a lot of times with a set, wrote, scripted piece of material. Do you know? Can you explain NAFTA? Do you understand what Nord Stream 2 is? Do you understand the notion of colony collapse disorder? Do you know the difference between a caucus and a and a primary and a this? I mean, do, do you know politics in the world and the issues? And can you find um, China on the map? And they will say to you, well, no, but my quirkiness, and I'm so, because I get such a reaction out of people in what often is a very scripted routine, it will naturally convey into podcast. Oh, and if I saturate the conversation with as many F-bombs and expletives as possible, that will, oh, and I also have a lot of tattoos, so you can see I'm, I'm okay. But that will convey to the audience inclusion. That will show them this guy's good. He's got the tattoos. He says the F word every three seconds. And he laughs a lot. In the, and he'll have on other comedians and they'll laugh this way. No. But it's transforming people into thinking, yes, that is comedy. Yes, that is that is that is culture. That that is the new culture. So people will come and look at this now and say, I want to do that too. So what do I do? I have cat, I have cats. I curse very heavily. I kind of know the periphery, ten the, the the first layer of the issue. Maybe I'll wear a hat or a cap or something that. There is a food blogger who has a red bandana. It looks like either the Bloods or, and that's the only way you know who he is. <laughs> and whatever. So it got me thinking: Where is this trajectory taking us next? Where are we going next? Now, let me stop right there. Let me stop right, right there, and remind you of two things. First, our sponsor. We want to say the great folks, our great folks at My Pillow, MyPillow.com. That's right, MyPillow.com. Use a promo code Lionel. Use no other promo code, because frankly, we won't get the credit. It will mean nothing to us, and I don't want you to ever use or implement or utilize or type in any other code but Lionel. MyPillow.com slash Lionel. Sign up right now and get a free gift. I know, tautological nonetheless, but it's true. Or call 800-645-4965 for the best prices and quality and selection and variety of everything, including sleep, loungewear, Dormiendo, uh, um, uh, slumber, whatever you want to call it, it is our dear friends at mypillow.com. Mypillow.com, promo code Lionel. I beseech, implore, importune, and entreat you to immediately go there as follows. Number two in this particular section is we have talked about this for so long, and you have said, I understand immediately. Immediately, and that of course is my Patriot Supply with a special right now, a special Lionel offer. Listen to me. Act quickly and save two hundred and fifty dollars on a three-month emergency food kit. It's their lowest price in three years. And the link, by the way, you must do this. You must, if you're using a mobile phone or whatever, you have to understand it's preparewithlionel.com. Preparewithlionel.com. Preparewithlionel.com for emergency food that that is for 90 days, three-month minimum that everybody in your home must have. 
That's it. Peace of mind. It makes implicit sense. And you have indicated accordingly that you agree. So go to preparewithlionel.com and we thank you. Now, I want to go more. I found something interesting last night, which is so fascinating. There was an inter- I read an article. I even posted it. And, of course, people weigh in because they're experts on everything. And it is the notion of, quote, anorexia as a palliative in terms of certain forms of disease like cancer and otherwise. Now, wait a minute. Hold it. When people hear this, most people, well, the right people would say, I want to hear this. I want to, I want to hear what you have to say. Explain this. How does not eating, in the case of, let's say, a wasting syndrome like cachexia, how, why would anybody suggest not eating? And what's interesting was, many have, many have looked at this and said, one of, the, one of the natural ways that the body handles certain diseases is for you to lose your appetite. Why aren't you hungry when you're sick? It's fascinating. So therefore, in certain cases, they looked at rats and animals that were basically not starved, but lower increase, they, the um, caloric intake was lowered dramatically. They took that blood, reintroduced it into sick people, and it helped them tremendously. By not eating, something happened. And the other theory was that we eat too much. There are people I know who say, I've got to eat. Why? I haven't eaten since noon. Are you hungry? Well, yeah. Well, what happens if you don't eat? What? What happens if you go to bed hungry? If I go to bed hungry, what are you talking about? Could that be beneficial? Yes. That may seem counterintuitive, but it was fascinating. And because people did not like that idea, they were arguing against it. Now, when somebody is depressed, one of the significant um, examples or signs of such it's something called anhedonia, when you don't take pleasure in things, when you don't like things, when you don't find yourself um, in any way enjoying your usual hobbies and the like. Uh, also, not laughing, not laughing, seeing no humor, never, never finding yourself in a position of being um, uh for lack of a better word, amused by something. Oh, and by the way, I just did a brand new, brand new video at my private channel using this on a very, dare I say, brutal political argument, which I don't... Uh, it's, it, it's, it's for adults. N- not because it's, it's dirty. No, 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 no. But because of the subject matter. It doesn't lend itself to popular thought because people are going to, what? So if you like that, that's the link right now to my private channel. But in any event, when people don't laugh, it's the strangest thing in the world. And I heard you the day somebody suggest, they were talking about that a lot of times comedians, comedians, have their, uh, they call it now the cancel culture, and, and you hear a lot about this. The cancel culture has existed since Oscar Wilde, since Lady Chatterley's Lover, since name it, since book burning, since Fahrenheit 454, since uh, Lenny Bruce, since the 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 private um, uh, censorship. Look at Mort Saul, what happened by virtue of the Kennedy family. Mort Saul was very, very explicit. Mort Saul dared to say something as a comedian against John Kennedy. And Mort Saul found himself, he said, as a victim of this kind of, quote, canceling. And people forget this. People forget it. They don't recognize it. They don't understand it. We lost Mort in 2021, and he was... Let me see, he was, how old was he? He was 94. And he was, believe me today, 
nobody would. I don't think anybody would understand him or because of who he was. But it's not a. It's not a. It's not a new concept. And the reason why is because sometimes there's something nothing more more dangerous than the notion of somebody making light of something, making light of something, and laughing about a situation. I saw something years ago which I found so interesting. Around the ta- f- around the fall of the Soviet uh, Union, it was reported, according to this thing that I saw, that the KGB, when it was the KGB, not the FSB, but the KGB, or whatever, was, was dispatched to collect jokes to hear what people were joking about. Because they posited correctly that you can see where a country is going by virtue of what they are laughing at. When you're laughing at something, laughing means collective agreement because you will never laugh at a joke somebody tells you, somebody you don't like. It also points to the absurd level of something, let's say, the government's doing that everybody agrees. is like, this make no, it makes no sense. So, Comedy is very, very important. Comedy, political comedy, whatever you want to call it. To determine what people think, it's one of the most powerful ways to speak editorially, but understand really what it's about. And also look at the notion of what it is to laugh. Are they laughing because they think it's funny or are they laughing because they think it's funny because they agree with you? What came first, the humor or the agreement? If somebody says a real funny joke about you, you're not going to laugh because you don't think it's funny. But somebody else does because it's not them. So it's all relative to the circumstances. Also now, look at a child. When a child laughs and smiles, this to me is worth everybody's attention 100%. What is going through that child's mind? And what's going through that child's mind in terms of dreaming? What's a child dreaming about? What is a dog dreaming about? And what, and what do blind people dream about? What do... What, what do deaf people dream of? And just all that. I, I could talk about this forever. When a child is laughing, when a child does, when you make a funny face, why is a child laughing and not being frightened? When you say, and it starts laughing, it understands at a level that is so deep. It knows it's not threatening. It knows it's not in any way um, a problem. It knows you're not in pain. He understands. He or she understands it. Gets it. You didn't. You didn't. You, you can't train the kid. Gets it. But if a child doesn't laugh, doesn't see it, sees it in this kind of a black and white flat approach, that's not good. Because laughing is something that lets you know a little bit about positive mental health, how you feel, and also laughing is something. And you can go through all of the oxytocin releases and you can talk about what it is in neurochemistry. And yes, 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 yes. But I am so interested of why people laugh today. And I'm going to tell you this much. My, my belief today, by virtue of what we do via social media, I believe a lot of our collective reactions are part of a choreographed symmetry of reaction. We, we agree. This is how, it's like Tai Chi. In the morning when people get up and they do it like this, they're all doing it together. That's, that's what we do. We laugh at things because we're told to laugh. It's cool to laugh. And people love to say they laugh. Some people say, you mentioned Bill Hicks. Bill Hicks has never made me laugh. But Bill Hicks, I look at it and say, wow, it's very interesting. He's a very, even angrier than George Carlin. Especially when you watch through the Carlin years about the transitions of where he's been through. It's fascinating. He's the same, but circumstances change. I listened to a George Carlin routine the other day that was so ridiculous, from the 70s, I guess, or whatever. He was talking about a political dualism that doesn't exist anymore. And I thought to myself, this, 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 this is the silliest stuff I've ever heard in my life. In the old days, I listened to old Dick Cavett's, and I would listen to um, leaders uh, speak about, I don't know, different things. I realized this, this is the most unsophisticated level of understanding. Them. But at the time, it was considered... Wow, this is really, this is deep. But it really wasn't. For then it was. But now it's almost simplistic. So what's happening now is, I'm sorry to say this, that social media, I think, are in many respects not necessarily 
Well, let me give you an idea. Does fast food make a country does fast food make a country healthier or sicker? And for the most part you probably say sicker, and the reason is not because it's a fast food, but this is the way it works. In order for something to be fast and popular, it has to appeal to a lot of people at the same time. And in order to appeal to a lot of people at the same time, it does not have to be iffy. It's got to go right to their heart. Fat, fatty, sweet, and salty. All kind of, it's savory, of course, but all kind of mixed together. And they will do whatever they have to do to get you to like it and come back. And that's how that works. So fast food's fine. But what happens is when you give human beings the ability to present this platform, they don't go for the healthy stuff because healthy doesn't pay. It's this stuff. Now, when you provide platforms and comedy and whatever, do you think we're going to go for the higher order stuff? No. No. How do you think Christopher Hitchens would do today? How do you think Stephen Fry would do today? Have you ever seen IQ? Is it IQ, this British game show? It would last 12 seconds in this country. I think it's IQ. Stephen Fry hosted it, and it's, it's just Bill Bailey and all these great actors. It is wow. So look at where we're going right now. And what's laughter and comedy going to be like in the next, I don't know, whatever. It is, it is, it is beyond, it is beyond interesting. Will Rogers was probably, at the time, one of the most important, one of the most important people around. Will Rogers was critical, critical to everything, to everybody. Will Rogers was it. Uh, Oscar Wilde was great as well. But Will Will Rogers was, I mean, by the way, Will Rogers, one of his best buddies, one of his best friends of all time, Mussolini. Remember, Will Rogers said he never met a man he didn't like? Was that old John Rickles joke? Will Rogers never met Don Rickles? All right. What do you think was good about Will Rogers? Why was he funny? Because he knew everything. He knew exactly. Mark Twain. Mark Twain, you read him today, and he got it first. The funny part came later. Today, I respectfully submit, it's the opposite. You're told to laugh, and then you will you will work out the math later on. Yeah, but that's not funny. Excuse me, he's funny. Laugh. Oh, okay. It's like years ago, people say, you have to love The Clash. If you listen to music, you have to, The Clash. Oh, I love The Clash. You have to like the movie Fargo. You have to, or else you're a, you're a, you're a, a pangendrum. You're just some, some uh, parvenu. You're nobody. You, you don't like Fargo? <sighs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. God, dear God, you don't like Fargo. What's the matter with you? Very complicated. And now we get into something even more important. Never ever call something comedy. Because if it's comedy, you don't have to explain it. There was a time in this country, I think the number one station in the country was country music. And nowhere in the name of the station did it say country music country. And the program director said, if you don't know this is country, we can't help you. So what they do is they say, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take comedy and we're going to make comedy funny. We're going to take a comedian, we're going to put him on our news show, and we're going to deliver the news funny. Or studio audience. Studio audience. Fascinating. Why do people laugh differently en masse than they do at home? Why do studio audiences work? Why is a studio audience important? What if you listen to a person just say, what if you listen to a person that you love, one of your favorite acts ever, just speaking to you alone with absolutely no audience participation, no laughter, no nothing, just this person, almost like an audiobook. That, if you laugh, I read Donald Fagan's Great. Listen to Donald Fagan's audiobook. It was fantastic. Norm MacDonald's audiobook, very good. 
I, I can't you're not laughing, but it's really good. And you can see this this that's a great sign as opposed to listening to something. Imagine George Carlin seven dirty words without an audience. Just listening to it for the first time, just having him tell you this. You might say, You sure about this? So the audience throws off the distortion. One of the reasons why you have live performances is not just, of course, to sell tickets, yes, but it's a different story. If if you saw Freddie Mercury at his height at Queen or whatever, if you were the only one at Woodstock, you'd hear all the acts, but you wouldn't have that interaction. You wouldn't have that there. And that's another thing. Studio audiences are always the kind of like the fudge factor. It's it just let me stop right there. Let me stop right there for one second. Hold it. Let me hang on a minute. Just one second. Hang on. I just was about to post something that I did not want to post. Let me see. There we go. Z-Stack. Oh, my God, my friends. There's so many. You know, I, I love talking about vitamins and immune system because people love, especially in our neck of the woods, they love to talk about this expertise of vitamins. It's the most incredible thing. I actually one time had somebody, true story, you're not going to believe me, lecture me about amino acids and he was smoking. People have this idea that they are possessed with the knowledge of, I don't know why, of vitamins and health and nutrition. It's the damnedest thing I've ever seen. It is incredible. Why does that work? But right now, one of the best things you can do, if you go right now to my link right here for Z-Stack, it makes so, so much sense. You can get right now. This is during the... And by the way, when they say, it's a flu season, a friend of mine is a physician. He says, it's always flu season. I don't know what people are talking about, but they say, well, it's the summer. It's flu season. Right now, the Z-Stack, this wonderful elixir, this, this, this wonderful compound of sorts, has, of course, vitamin C and zinc, which is wonderful, vitamin D, which is the elixir, and flavonoids, quercetin, a phytonutrient, bioavailable, beautiful, wonderful little protector that's involved in the coloration of flowers and the it's anything that is used either as an attractant or something or as a repellent in plants and verdure makes sense it's the beautiful chemistry it's nature saying use this it makes something and vitamin d vitamin d3 in particular believe me be careful though get the right balance get you don't want oh, was it hyper not calcemia, but always talk to your doctor. Always make sure. But don't be surprised if your doctor says, I just eat a balanced diet. I love the way they say that. And you look at your doctor like, uh-huh, and you are the paragon of good health. In any event, this is a wonderful product. Right now, use my link right there. Get 15% off a Z-Stack. And for you and your family, gummies available as well. It's one of the best edibles you can have that I think does a wonderful job. And this. How many articles have you read about EMPs for some reason? Electromagnetic pulse attacks. How many have you heard of it? It's the talk of the industry. An EMP shield is so perfect and so Listen to this. Read. Read for yourself. Read this. This is a, 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 a West Midwest company, veteran-owned, made in America. They have a device that you can hook up to your vehicle in your home that will protect you from an electromagnetic pulse, an EMP. The technology has undergone extensive testing at Keystone Compliance, a military-certified facility, and is listed by the Department of Homeland Security. Read. Read. Look at the site. Go to my link here. And not only does it, does it protect your home and your vehicle, but your generator, solar system, ham radio, RV, and much, much more. EMPs, I think you understand. I know you understand. EMP Shield, go check it out. Now, my friends, i got to tell you this. I will not mention the names, per se, but in the history of my talk radio career, I have had... I've interviewed a lot of people, and some people were wonderful. Just wonderful. 
And every now and then, a program director would say, hey, I got an idea. Why don't we get this comedian to come in and do our show? Not understanding that the comedian, for the most part, many of them, not, not all, but many of them have a scripted you know, act, so to speak, that they, they work with. And that things change on the fly, and, and they, would, they just thought, you know, obviously they would be terrific. Boy, I can tell you, I can tell you the stories of disasters for people that are big names who just, they thought, well, shouldn't you be able to? Doesn't this convert into? No. Or somebody who says, hi, we're on, we have, let's go to a comic, stop right there. Never introduce somebody as a comic. If you're going to have somebody on your political show, just bring them out. Don't don't tell anybody. Don't say, and now here's genius. Wait a minute. It doesn't sound like a genius because immediately you've told the audience, listen, and I've seen this before. I've seen this before. So they come out, let people laugh on their own. They might say, this guy's good. You know, he should be a comedian. But don't tell people ahead of time. And then you get the smirk. <laughs> and then they think that everything they say, by virtue of the fact that they're saying it, what's that song, 16th Avenue, Lacey J. Dalton? And then one's and some, uh, some lonely room where, near, where no curtains ever hung. Rolled off someone's tongue, and about this moment of inspiration when this song, 16th Avenue, when this song comes, when this moment, when they think that I am so good and talented being a comedian that I'm going to go out and people are going to hear me and they're going to say, This is this is profundity, this is clarity, this is genius. Sometimes you find it annoying, especially when some comedians laugh at themselves because they've never read the joke. Or they're reading in the prompter for the first time. <laughs> Laughing at yourself? I don't understand this. Who does this? Who does this? Sometimes the stories are so... There are some... There, nobody would ever do this. But if ever you wanted to see somebody, and you got to be able to carry it off, somebody on a news show who says, let me show you something. Uh, we, we give you our word. We've not adjusted this or edited this. This is exactly what happened. Roll it. And then you come back. It can be the funniest thing because you're, 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 you, what, what you're telling people is, you're not telling them anything. Your reaction is saying, I'm not even going to dare discuss this. It is so obvious. It is so patently obvious. Of course, nobody would do this. I still like when people get stuck on prompters. When whoever's hitting the prompter doesn't know how to do it, and all of a sudden you see, and the most important part of the issue <laughs> that kills me. I'm sorry. Excuse me. Now, everybody's an expert. Everybody is uh, whatever it is. And I'm not telling anybody what to do. What I'm telling people is marvel at why funny and laughter means something. And when you're laughing at something, are you really laughing because you find it funny? Or are you laughing because everybody else is laughing? You ever see somebody yawn and you yawn? Why? People are still arguing about yawning. Uh, well, it's because you have a drop in oxygen. No, you're not. And you're trying to... No. And by the way, you're not getting oxygen in by yawning. It's the opposite. You're not breathing. And it, it, people just have these things, you know. They just make up these wonderful tropes that, you know, you keep saying them over and over. But there are things that we do. And when it comes to laughing, the bottom line is, most of the time, there's nothing funny there. You're not laughing because it's funny. You're laughing because other people are laughing. You're supposed to laugh. Or it's a sign of your recognition. Have you ever seen people who walk around all the time smiling? I saw a woman the other day. I swear to God, I sat on a little bench in this little town, and I saw this one woman walking by herself. She's like smiling, and I'm thinking. And I expected to see like in a movie where all of a sudden some building blows up, you know, like she's a bomber or something. She's walking away knowing that it was the weirdest. And there she was just smiling, but it's almost like a, ooh. Isn't that funny? Smiling, that scared me. Just 
get a bench, sit on a bench, get a bench, buy a bench, sit on a bench in any small little town on Main Street and just watch. <gasps> oh my God. Oh my God, Lord. And you watch people. And learn and be, be always ask yourself, the behavior that I'm observing is what's happening now, not what's happening 20 years ago, 25 years ago. The Gen Zers of today obviously are not the Gen Zers of before, but, but in that group. When I was 12, I guess 13 years old, we bought POW bracelets. And I, and I had one of a, of a guy, and he was, he was a, uh, wasn't a bomber, he was shot down and, and he wrote us oh, all of us who, who bought because you, you were sent away and it was this flimsy copper remember this is silver and I just have to tape it because I wanted the original one and you said I'm not going to take it off until he comes home and he came home and they got this wonderful letter and it was wonderful 13 years old it wasn't a big deal but everybody 13 years old did this we had, we had three networks we were concerned about the Vietnam War we're 13 we were talking. About, we knew the names of the places. We knew Danang and this and Ho Chi Minh. We, we we knew these. We we knew that we had people in our towns. Every night, Walter Cronkite would show the names of the people. We we all had. We I had like friends whose older brother were there. I mean, it was. We couldn't escape it, and we didn't have any social media. We just had three networks at night in the morning newspaper, and that was it. And that was it. But we were so socially conscious. And we got it. And we had albums. We had comedy, of course. I think one of the greatest, I know nobody wants to talk about them anymore, but when Bill Cosby came out with his stories, they were legendary. To brother, to Russell, my brother whom I slept with, Lighter Than Air. I listened to those and loved it. Noah, what's a cubit? Right. I loved it. It was clean, brilliant. Bob Newhart. Button Down Mind, Andy Griffith, Merv Griffin, all of the Borschfeld people. I loved I got it. I understood it. And then, what really, and you know, Lenny Bruce was really before my time, and Mort Saul was, and uh, Dick Gregory was very important, very activistic. But in my lifetime, what was really important was George Carlin. And George Carlin went from, hey, and then he went into the Hey, man, dig, you know, that, listen to Lenny Bruce, and you hear the delivery exactly. Listen to Lenny Bruce. He changed everything. The way they did it, from Jackie Leonard to Jackie Vernon, you know, to this, and it was really, really important. Bill Hicks later on, nobody, I don't think he got the, it'll be a while before Bill Hicks gets his due because it's kind of an acquired taste. But Carlin changed it. Seminal, huge. Richard Pryor, a different story. Today, who is doing that? I don't know. I don't know if, the, if we're, Why? Social media is saturating us with this. There's no, there's nothing unique about it. We're being we're being killed with this, this proliferation of comedy, and that's good. Nothing wrong with that. I'm not, I'm not I'm not lamenting it. But what I want you to do is this: I want you to ask yourself the question: Why is this so, and what does this mean? And take the simplest of of. I got a simple. I got a question for you. Are your kids uh, of, of dating age? Are are people dating anymore? I'm not. I'm not trying to be cute. Are people dating? Do we have dates anymore? I don't know. All right. Do me a favor. First of all, this is Mrs. L's Twitter. I beseech, implore, and import you. I love that word. To here's a great word. Zisigi. Look it up. Zisigi. Try that one. This is her newsletter and. Something which you must be aware of. She is superb, superb. I'm going to put on also your 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 um, radio spot. She has radio. She's such a pro. She puts everybody to shame. 
She puts everybody to shame. And also people say, how can I learn more about Lynn's Warriors? How can I do it? Right here. Right here in our shoe. Right there for you. And, um, oh, the YouTube. Yes, the YouTube channel. The YouTube channel. Please. You. She needs a YouTube follow. Look, we have been, I'm not going to go through this. You don't want to hear it anymore. And also, let me tell you, for my particular private channel, here's what I do. Number one, I give you over an hour a day of stuff you don't hear anyplace else. Number one. Number two, a story, normally from a site that nobody will ever let you print, usually. And number three, I talk about music. It's like if I were to have you at my pad, and I'm going to say, I want you to listen to this, and I will play things for you, from Delene Faraz to some Sarah Hickman to Luther Allison to... I'll get on a kick. I'm into a Dan Hicks and his Hot Licks thing. Uh, Marianne Price. Also, how that merged into Ray Benson, The Sleep of the Wheel, little Dale Watson, how they're each... It's almost like James Burke's connections. Little Django, a little uh, John Jorgensen, a little bit of this. I like intermediates. I like to explain how the world of rock and country was responsible, how we needed Graham Parsons. Graham Parsons with... Tremendous help from Jerry Lee Lewis and Elvis, who broke away from country altogether. This is this is the thing. I've an absolutely adore blues. The blues, our oh my god. And the more primitive, the more rough, the more authentic, the more I love it. Same thing with country. I would rather take uh, Ernest Tubb. Or uh, Tex Ritter over whoever is around. So I do that as well, explain that one. I came across an old uh, Sarah Hickman, who, by the way, is not the poet laureate. She's, she's the musician laureate of, uh, of um, Texas. Some people that you may not be, you, you may not necessarily know the names of. You may not be too into them. And I love introducing people in, in my uh, my uh, um, pieces that you don't know, like Robert Lamb from Chicago, the stuff he's written, oh my God. And what Chicago put out that you never hear about? We have, the thanks to the greatest thing ever, I think Spotify and Algorithm Radio, you're able to put into, have you heard Johnny Highland? Johnny Highland's a very large, blind he is the most uncool looking. He plays the Telecaster esque like you cannot believe. It's not, it's like Danny Gatton in that realm. It's unbelievable. There's so much out there. So that's in my private channel. I invite you because I can say what I want and I don't have to worry about anybody. And your, in the comments, even more so. All right, my friends, have a great and a glorious day. Enjoy the day. Enjoy the day. Thank you so much for your for your uh, faith and your and your being a part of this. See you tomorrow, same bad time, same bad channel, 9 a.m. Eastern time. Until then, remember these these wonderful words of valedictory. The monkey's dead. The show's over. Sue ya. Ta-ta.